0: I know we're adjusting. Thank you for grace. Thank you for patience. But we're moving to better things. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to better things. This morning, we're here to celebrate our back to school time with our kids. And uh, JC, won't you move back down here? I know your mama come in, but just sit there by me, Ma, this morning. Would you do that? Just didn't like seeing you sitting there by yourself. She's always a part of our world and will continue. She just turned 13 this year, getting ready to go into the eighth grade tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I know her world's changing. So this isn't just about going back to school. This is about a new season for every one of us. This moment isn't mom and dad just about you in the morning or whenever it's going to be. I know I got homeschoolers in here. But it's not just about you sending off your kids to school for a new year. But I want to say this to you and proclaim this. But it's rather, it's about us as a family aligned in and for the God's for a brand new season of our lives. Every one of us. You have to realize they come out of she came out of seventh grade last year i'm just going to use her for a moment she's going into eighth grade this year and her school that she's in is in a is a christian school they only go to the eighth grade so they're going to change again next year everything for every student even for you mom and dad everything is changing this is a time to see our children grow and learn and find fulfillment It's a moment that we're here as we step into God's purpose as His family to see them protected and and to see them filled with peace and joy. I'm titling my message this morning, It's a Family Affair. Can you say that with me? It's a Family Affair. Mom and Dad, it's not about us just handing off our kids to someone else, but it's us standing with them. I want you to hear this this morning it's about us standing with them standing with that teacher standing with the system to ensure the greatest well-being of our children in every way say with me again it's a family affair see we've been so accustomed just to send our children and not realize how valuable that it's not just about them it's about everyone in your household it's about all of us this morning you and i need to understand that god's eternal plan for the family is far greater than what any of us could ever ever imagine i declare to you it's that great Far greater than anything that we can participate in is to see that our families are healthy and whole. Many years ago, it's been a number of years ago, the Lord spoke something to me and he said something like this. He said, you can have everything in this world, but if you've lost your family, you really don't have anything. And the greatest asset that you got, I don't care how big your house is, I don't care how big the car is, don't care how much money you got, That really doesn't matter. The greatest asset you got is family. All of that stuff will burn. All of that stuff will go away. But the one thing that will stand and should stand for eternity is that it is your family. From this moment till we enter into the heavenlies with our Lord. That our father, that our children will be standing with us. My grandson's helping me over there. He's laughing at me this morning. Family unit. I'm going to preach different, so just let me follow along like I've got to do it, all right? I'm not used to preaching in jeans. This is weird. (laughs) It really is. I don't know why, it just feels weird. The family unit is the first institution formed in the Bible. Do you realize that it wasn't the church? It wasn't the government, it was the family. And the family was the government. And the family was the one that would rule and have dominion over the earth. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, after everything was made on the evening of the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. The family unit was the greatest. It was the first and greatest. And it was the only authority other than God himself in the earth. And God gave the earth to mankind. He gave it to family. Matter of fact, it was so important that in your Bible, which broke up into an Old Testament and New Testament, there's 400 years from the Old Testament to the the New Testament that the last thing that he recorded in the Old Testament was this. I will turn the heart of the Father to the children and the children back to the heart of the Father. The first chapter of the book of Matthew, of the book of the first book of the New Testament, is is the book of Matthew. And the first verse of the first chapter says something like this. Now this is the genealogy Of our Lord Jesus Christ he started with family matter of fact the first picture before a miracle has ever happened before anything is ever done it is the story of family notice how our Savior came he didn't come opposite he didn't come without the family he was put right in the very middle of it this is the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham it starts with a father and it starts with a mother and it starts with a child that is given unto them everybody say with me it's a family affair It's God's design that the family be the very means. I want you to listen to this. It's God's design. It has always been, and I believe it is forever to be. It's God's design that the family be the very means by which His presence and power on the earth would be revealed and established. We thought it was about our ministries. We thought it was about our singing. We thought it was about our gifting. But the reality of it, before there was ever a note played, before ever a song was sung, before ever a gift was, was put in motion, God intended that the man and the woman and their children would walk into the earth and they would reveal to a barrenness the greatness and the power of God that when they would speak, they would be speaking just like their creator and the earth wouldn't. Would know not to do anything but to respond to them just like when God said, let there be. When Adam and Eve would walk upon the earth and their children, it was God's plan for them to say, let there be. It was God's plan for them to take the seed that God had put into the earth and to put it into ground. And not to see it go to ruin, not to see it die in the earth, but to see it bring forth and bud and bring the fruit that is worthy of the one that created it. The family should be the most powerful protective force against sin and the strongest motivational force for godliness. We've put it into the hands of everything on this planet, but our greatest protection against sin is our family and the strongest motivation to godliness is the family it's actually the first government government established i just declared that to you out of genesis 1 verse 26 it wasn't washington dc nor any other government think about this just for a moment if everything in washington right now changed to the way that you would want it to be I assure you that it cannot and would not stand. Because the very thing, thank you, the very thing that this nation or that society is founded upon is not in the order of which God intended. Because God's family is really the very foundation of society. And everything is established upon that in the premise of Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. May I say to all of us that believe that this is the greatest hour to be on the planet that this is the hour for the greatest revival could i could maybe i put this thought in your mind that this revival is about a returning and restore and restoring the church and the family back to original intent to god's dominion would be established in the earth once again and all of that would happen the way God intended. And notice something, how it does work. All that he would start and do from the very beginning would be through family and would be by a generational transfer. There's not a person in this room that's not important to the plan of God. Not a person in this room. We've got grandmas and grandpas. We've got aunts and uncles, and we've got moms and dads. Some of us have raised our children and we're doing our thing or you're doing your thing. I should say it like that. And we've actually bought into a world system and I'll share more about that in just a few moments. But everything that God intended to do through the earth, he would do it through a generational transfer. Notice there was only one Adam and one Eve. I want you to notice he created them male and female and he blessed them and said, be fruitful. The blessing to Abraham was sons and daughters it was children and children would be born and then they would would marry they would enter into god's covenant relationship of marriage and they would bring forth children and their children you and i are a product if you read through the genealogy it would take us all the way back i may be as strong any of you ever do one of those genealogy trees or surveys of of where you come from may i tell you where we all come from we all go back to Adam. It may take us a while to get to where we are, but we all go back to Adam. You may be of a different uh, nationality in a sense. I know I've got African here. We've got Hispanics. We've got Asian. We've got no doubt telling what's in the room. But the reality is we are truly, really supposed to be all brothers and sisters because we all go back to the very same root in the beginning, and that was Adam and Eve. Family is so important. Say again with me, it's a family affair. Psalms 145 4 says, And one generation shall declare the works of God to another. One generation, God didn't say your teacher would do it. God said, One generation, He meant the family unit, will declare what is righteous, what is holy, what is good, what is pure. We declare that from one generation to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one. Next verse, please. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Go ahead. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Next verse. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. He said, we will teach them. He said to Israel, I'm teaching you and you'll teach your children. (coughs) And they'll teach their children. It is a generational transfer. It is from one line to another. It's God's design. Everybody say it's a family affair. One of the first things that I believe that we have to get a right perspective on. We must first have God's view for our children. If we don't have it, we're going to be in trouble. But we've got to have God's view for our children. Psalms 127, verse 3 through 4 says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Notice some of those words. He said, your children is heritage. He said, they're a reward to you. Go on, on. like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Next verse, please. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. One translation says something like this, that our children are a gift from God. They are, everybody say this with me, they're a blessing. If you're sitting next to one of your children, why don't you look at them and say, hey, you're a blessing. Some of you didn't even say a word. I Father, give them a miracle. Open their mouth right now. You're a blessing. One of the things that we've got to realize, I know that it's tough raising family. We've had them, They're, we're still raising them. We are, and we will continue. My little mama, most of you, a lot, a lot, he's cracking me up. A lot of you know my little mama went to be with the Lord, and I don't know how many times that she would tell me. As she would lay on that nursing home bed, she'd say, "Son, I don't care how big you boys get, you're always going to be my little boy." And she treated us that way. Diane would tell you that. When we would go to dinner, she would say, "Son, what what is what he what?" She had asked what Diane would want. She knows Diane loved roast and potatoes, and roast was my most favorite meal. So what Mama would do, she'd fix something for me as well. So we would have roast and potatoes, and Mom would have some chicken because she's still raising us. Hello, what was theirs belonged to us. We took care. That's just how families. We have to realize. But there, I have to say, I love my kids. They're sitting in the room, and and but I want to tell you a couple of them were a challenge. I don't mean that in a crude way, but, you, you know, y'all you, see, I, I didn't introduce this guy playing the guitar. This is, my, this is my son, and his wife Alexis was in the middle, just moved back here. This is Pastor Chad now. He's our executive pastor at the church, helping us move forward in what God is saying to us. But when he grew up, as he was growing as a little guy, he had a sensitivity disorder. We could walk in a grocery And his senses would be so keen. You know, if you'd go into Schnucks, I know it's there now. They have a fresh seafood thing in the back in the meat market. We would walk to the front. We wouldn't even get in the door. He would be saying, Dad, I can't go in there. Because it would would be such a stench in his nostrils. It would make him sick as he was growing. You'd never think it looking at him when he was growing up. He wouldn't eat. We could barely get him off a bottle. I want to tell you, that's a chore. That's a chore. Man, we got him a diet. I hope you don't mind, Chad. I love you, buddy. I'll take you for chicken wings later. But we had a hard time getting him off of off of formula. Matter of fact, it was concerning us. And we even saw doctors and they were getting ready to do a bunch of tests. And and I mean, we were praying, God, do something. We didn't want to see him go through that. And then finally he got introduced. What was that first thing he went for? Was it pizza? Yeah, he basically had this big diet like, well, she's not in here, so I won't use her. Had this big diet. He liked french fries. He liked Pizza. Chocolate chip cookies and Reese's cups and apple juice. That's it. I mean, I should have bought stock in the Reese's cup. I don't know how many of those boys I could buy. But then I'd buy the bag of Reese's and this would be how it is. Dad, these are no good. Son, I just bought them. I just opened the whole bag. Dad, they're old. And he wouldn't eat them. Am I not telling the truth? And if he'd see a french fry, he'd bite, he'd break the end of it off, of both ends, and eat all in the middle. I don't know what was up with the kid. I know y'all were better parents than all. Y'all were better parents than us because this is how, this is how it worked for a lot of you growing up. Whatever mom and daddy put in front of you, you were going to eat it or you wasn't going to get up from the table. How many can relate to what I just said? A lot of you in the room. I said that being a hardship because we are in most difficult times where everything is pressing on our children, and our children are experiencing things that they have never, ever experienced before or should have. And a lot of parents are stressed you're maxed out. I'm not saying any of our parents, but a lot of them out there. They're stressed. They're maxed out. They're struggling. And instead of seeing their children as a blessing from God, they're basically, they see it as a, as, as a hardship. They see it as a pain. And even at times possibly would even say, I don't even know why I even had you. And maybe some of you have even heard things like that spoken into your life because I've heard the testimonies of people that felt that way. Do you know there was a time in Roman culture, in Roman culture, many, many years ago, way back probably in the days of the Bible, when children were born to a family, if they didn't like the child, if it wasn't what they wanted, they called it exposure. They would take the baby And they would take him out to a hillside and they would leave him there. And they would say to the God that they had believed in, they would say this, he's your problem now, you raise him. And many of the hillsides in that part of the country were filled with children that were dead on those hillsides because a mom and dad, it wasn't their choice. It was a pain. It was forever. Don't realize our very present day of abortion is doing much the same thing. It doesn't lay them on the hillside, but in a clinic somewhere through, through, through some procedure that's not healthy for either one of them possibly even medically induced or whatever they are murdering our babies because moms and dads don't understand that children are a blessing and an increase of God and moms and dads you need to I don't know care how much trouble or difficulty they may bring you you need to look at them as a blessing from the Lord everybody say it's a family thing Moms and dads, as being a blessing. God gave them to us innocently. We have the responsibility to raise them. Josh and Kelsey, I want you to help me. Would y'all bring Michael and come up this way? Larry, Mr. Larry, would you put a chair up here so she can just sit in that chair? This is just going to be simple. I'm not going to make you say a thing, but just hang on with me. Moms and dads, we have a responsibility to raise our children. I want to say it again. I thought I did. I said, we've got a responsibility to raise our children and train them in the way of the Lord and not just put them in a system and say, you do it because I don't have time. Or because I've got this to do. We have the responsibility to train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. You know what that means? It literally means you got a responsibility that God gave you a gift from heaven that you're supposed to be finding the path for him. What God's plan is, not what your will is. His dad is an engineer. He's an engineer. So I want a third generation engineer. Wouldn't be a bad thing if he was become an engineer. But the reality is you better check with God because the plan of God is to instill what the Lord has said about his life to bring him forth. How do you think for a moment Jesus became savior of the world? How do you think a baby became savior of the world? Hang on, we're going to get out there in just a moment. I can see some of you guys bouncing and flipping and Ben and Pam will have the anointing all ready for these older ones. It's going to get on the slide out there, all right? We want to pray for them. But how did this baby become a Savior? The story's found. I'm not going to take time to read it, but I want to tell it to you, and I want you to hear it. This is Mary and Joseph this morning. Starts out in the book of Matthew chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 18. That there's a man by the name of Joseph who is engaged to a beautiful young virgin by the name of Mary. And according to custom, he no doubt has already paid the dowry to the young lady's parents. And he's gone off and he's preparing living quarters for his family. But while he's gone... An angel appears to Mary and said, Hey, highly favored of God, highly favored among women, you have found favor with God and you're going to bring forth a son. Matter of fact, I want to read that part exactly right if I can. I didn't write those scriptures down, so give me just a moment to turn there. He said, The angel said, Do not be afraid because you're gonna conceive in your womb and you're gonna bring forth a son and his name is going to be called Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And the angel said unto her, or Mary said to the angel, how can this be seen? I know not a man. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy that holy one who is born will be called the Son of God. Mary takes off to her cousin Elizabeth, and when she gets there, because Elizabeth is pregnant at being an old age and in a miraculous way as well. but when she gets there, Elizabeth encourages her and said, this is a God thing, for with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said this, be it unto me according to your word. And the moment she said that, I believe at that moment she agreed. The moment she said, be it unto me, she was pregnant. The Holy Spirit had overshadowed her. She was in agreement. Now we've got a problem, Houston. Houston. We've got a single young lady, a young virgin that's pregnant, and her spouse, a man, is off building them a home, building them a place to dwell. And God appears to him. An angel appears in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of God. And you will call, for she will bring forth the son. And you will call his name Jesus. So now, a miraculous thing happens with this baby. But notice, he didn't just talk to Mary. He talked to both of them. Was it so that he would stay with Mary? Or was the family unit that strong to God that Jesus has to have that father in order to become everything he's supposed to be in this earth? Think about it for a moment. Because if that was you, think about that in your dating years. If the one that you've been dating for a few years had pledged herself, "I'm pure, I'm innocent, I've been with no one, you've got a ring on your finger, you've got a wedding date set, and then all of a sudden she shows up pregnant, we're going to have some issues. More times than one, we would have walked away. We would have bailed out. You've been unfaithful. You've been on this, but God valued. This was a God thing, an immaculate conception. It was a God thing, but he said, I've got to have the father in the life of the baby, which he's going to be the earthly father. He's going to have to be in the life of this baby in order for this baby to become everything I want him to become. Now think about this, Joseph does that. I got an idea, he put his arm around Mary and said, Mary, I don't understand, but I know God spoke to me, and I want you to know I'm here, and I'm gonna be faithful, and I'm gonna do what God said, and you're gonna have a son. We already know, we're not gonna have a a, a reveal party. We already know what's coming. We're gonna have a son. And Mary, the angel said, his name would be called Jesus. I believe they had conversation like that. He's going to be the son of the highest. The angel said it's the son of God. And he would rule over the people. This is information that was given to Joseph and to Mary. Mary, Joseph and Mary come, Jesus is born And you know much of the Christmas story the wise men come from the east they come to worship him the Bible said the shepherds are keeping watch over the flock by night and then then the angel said behold don't be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord and the shepherds made their way to Mary and Joseph, and they're looking at this baby, and Mary and Joseph, we make it real big at Christmas time, and Mary and Joseph can't believe what is happening. Why are these people coming around us to see this baby? Matter of fact, I believe it is in the book of, uh, of uh, Luke, Luke's, Luke's gospel, chapter one. Notice, notice something. If you, do you have that up there for me, Miss... Uh, whatever your name is. There we are. Thus the Lord hath dealt with me in the days when he looked... I don't think that's the verse. Let me look. I may have wrote the wrong, wrong one down. Give me just a second. It's chapter 2 of Luke. And said, verse 17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Now everybody is knowing now when they had seen him, and all those who heard it marveled at the things which he told them by shepherd. But notice what happened. But Mary kept them in her heart. She kept them in her heart. She pondered all this stuff. What's going on? What is happening with all of these things that are transpiring? Pay close attention. These words here are... Listen, are everything to you and your children. What I'm getting, what I'm unloading. I just want you to see the story. Jesus reaches the age of 12. They go to Jerusalem for feast. They head back home, but Jesus stays and they, he stays in the temple and he's sitting among the scholars and he's chatting with them. He's asking questions and he's answering questions and (coughs) Mary and Joseph get a day's journey away when they realize that their baby is not with them. Their 12-year-old is not there. They make a day's journey back. They find him in the temple and they come in and I got an idea that Mary was just a little bit ticked. Young man, what are you doing in here? Jesus, what are you doing? He looks at her and says, Mom, don't you know I must be about my father's business? But she says, not today, you're coming with me. And the word said, she pondered all of these things in her heart. I believe something happened in those days. I believe there was something transpiring that Mary would do and Joseph as she would hold like Kelsey is holding Michael. We're going to dedicate him next week. His other grandparents will be here. Or his only grandparents are going to be here. What am I thinking? That's not mine. (laughs) Their grandparents are going to be here. The other grandparents, they're going to be here. Pastor Chris will be speaking next week. But I got an idea. As Mary was nursing, Jesus, Jesus, let me tell you who you are. Jesus, let me tell you who your real father is. Jesus, I want you to know that when you were in my womb, before you were ever conceived in my womb, an angel appeared to me and told me who you would be. The angel told me that you would be called Jesus, that you would be the son of the highest, that you would rule the nations. I got an idea. She kept saying that over and over and over. And as Jesus got bigger and he spent time with his father Joseph who was a carpenter because years to come, Jesus would be known as the carpenter's son. I got an idea that Joseph and Jesus would hang out, maybe in the wood shop, maybe in the fishing hole, wherever they would be. And I could hear Joseph saying to him, Jesus, I want to tell you who you are. You are the son of God. You're going to be the savior of the world. You may not understand that now, but you will In days to come, Jesus, you will rule the nations. The scepter of Israel will be in your hand. And Mary and Joseph would keep speaking and declaring over Jesus who he was. Why do you think when Jesus reaches 30, he's baptized in the Jordan, the heavens open. The father speaks and says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was turning water into wine. And mama looked at him. It's time to go to work. Y'all didn't hear me. Mama said, It's time for you to step in because he could have done that the whole time of his life. But this moment, this moment, mama said, It's time. May I tell you, moms and dads, the greatest thing that you and I can do with our children and our grandchildren is that we tell them who they really are, that they are sons and daughters of the Most High. They may be great ballplayers. They may be great fishermen, hunters, bankers, candlestick makers, but more than knowing that identity, mom and dad, you need to be telling your boy and your girl and grandparents and aunts and uncles we are enforcers we need to tell them don't forget who you are you are a child of the Most High God you are that's the greatest thing that you could tell your children when my sons would go off to school I would say something to them like this don't forget who you are don't forget who you are I guess Stacy was the good one. I don't remember ever telling her that. But don't forget who you are at whatever age you are now. Don't forget who you are. See, the way we identify a generation is we tell them what God has spoken to our heart. Instead of just giving them cute names that might appeal to somebody, it might pay us to say, Lord, what is her name going to be before she's ever born? And put the name of God upon their head. You may not know everything there is to know about their life. He just may tell you that he's going to be a a worshiper. He's going to be a preacher. He's going to be a banker whatever it is you need to be declaring it over their life you want to know why we have a problem in our world of identity you want to know why we have it in the church because we don't know who we are you want to know why we are in a gender crisis in our in our nation who would have ever thought in our time that we've got children you guys can go down if you want I just wanted you up here just as a prop they were looking at me like they want to hurt me this morning You want to know why we've got kids that think they're that their little boy it thinks he's a girl and a little girl thinks he's she's a boy and they're confused, there's so much gender confusion. I really truly believe this with all my heart because the enemy has put in an all out attack upon the family unit to break it down and to destroy it and moms and dads have gotten themselves so convinced and so confused with this world system and so busy that we have quit telling our sons and daughters Who they really are. Hello. You ought to be shouting on that part. We've got to. And it doesn't take but one generation. To drop everything that you have built. Saddest verse in the Bible. Is found in the book of Judges chapter 2. Gideon had brought the people of God to the promised land. They've all gotten their inheritance And in Judges chapter 2, there's a verse that says this. And there's a generation that grew up that did not know the Lord. And after that, it was never the same. It was up. It was down. It was one king after another. Moms and dads, we've got a major responsibility. I'm not making light of this today. I told you, I believe this is the most important message I could ever preach. Moms and dads, your teacher, your child's instructor, the school system will not stand before God and answer for your children. They will not be the ones that God will say, what about this and what about that? I believe God is saying, it's you, mom and dad. You're the one that I've given that child. I don't mean to put an untold pressure on you, but the responsibility is I'm not sending them to school by themselves if they are really, truly my responsibility. All right, let me land the jet. Come on back, Ms. Crystal, would you? Remember, it's generational. What about us as grandparents? I think there's three fallacies that we, three lies of the present culture that we as grandparents got to get rid of. This is probably not true with any of you in this room. But there's a lot of grandparents and a lot of children are separated. One thing that I see as a pastor, I'm with families at their best and I'm with them at their worst. One of the saddest things is to see it when a patriarch dies, Is to see families fighting over what is left. Not only fighting over what is left. But won't even come into the room with each other. It's terrible. I think one reason. Please. And I know I've got a lot of people here. That have been divorced and remarried. So please don't be offended at me. You need to understand. That divorce carries a far greater weight than just you separating from the one that you've been married to. I believe the reason God abhors divorce so bad is because what it does to the children in the divorce. Because it breaks the generational lines. It breaks what should have, should have been carried on by righteous covenant dwelling. It breaks it. time's sake, I won't go. You can read Psalms chapter 78. Oh, I didn't give you the three things that grandparents needed to lie. The first one is this. Here's a lie. You do not, you you need to do your own life outside of your family. Got news for you. It's a lie. It's not the truth. Here's the second thing grandparents we're not just playmates and babysitters it's far heavier than that we love keeping our children our grandchildren we love it they're with us they'd go with us all the time we love it third third thing is you've raised your kids you've worked hard now go spend it all on yourself well you do need to enjoy what you've labored for but you don't need to lose, leave sight of your family and walk away from them. Four things, grandparents, I believe we have responsibility for. Grandparents, we teach God is the source of morality. We teach that as grandparents. We have that responsibility. I never will forget when my dad passed. Something changed. I told my brothers, I didn't know how to explain it. But I remember my grandfather, my dad's dad, John Robert, strong. We called him Pop. I can have memories of Pop playing basketball with us boys. I have memories of Pop leading that old mule out on the farm. And when he would need us to help him, he would holler. And when he'd want to Put in a, something, an old hair—I don't know what you called it—break up the clods. He had it, and he had it fixed where he needed some weight. And he'd call all of us grandkids, "Come out here and help me get on this thing." And that old mule, Kate, would go along the field and dust it, just covering us up. And when he would get done, there was an old pond. Pop, strip off naked and jump in. Tell all of us to do the same. <coughs> But I remember times that we sat around Pop and Grandma's house. Grandma would make those homemade fried pies. and Pop would kill those chickens in the backyard. Where it says, that we're like a chicken with his head cut off. If you ain't never seen that happen, when you take head off that dude, I don't know why he does it, but he runs everywhere. Ben, I hope you could help me understand that. But my pop and my grandma, my pop and my grandma were godly people. And the last words that I would ever hear out of my grandma's mouth on the day that she would pass as I would go to her house to wait there to catch the bus because mom and daddy worked. She put her hands on my little fat cheeks as she was sitting in her chair with her Bible in her lap with the news on. And she looked at me and she said, whatever you do, Live for God, gave me a kiss on the head and said, Go catch the bus. And that's the last time I would see and talk to my grandma. Our grandparents, we have a responsibility to teach them godly morality. We have a second responsibility to teach them the gospel, to preach to them Jesus. We have a third responsibility. That's to teach them obedience to authority. To teach them to obey their parents. To obey the laws of the land. To obey their teachers. We have the responsibility to teach them the core truths of Christianity. We're not done. We're not done. We're still in this thing. God intended from one generation... To another generation. To another generation. We're careful that we don't interfere with our kids' business and how they do things. But we also are quick when we feel like we have something from God. And we need to speak it that we will say, we believe this is right. This is what the Lord would say. What about the rest of you? I've got people in this place that don't have children. I've got couples that don't have children, desire, maybe can't have. We don't condemn you. Please don't feel condemned because you don't. Many of you have family members. You have nieces and nephews. You've got brothers and sisters. The rest of us in this place, we add our faith. We add our agreement. We carry on some of these very same things to the family. This thing is a family affair. And we can't let it go. Some of you have had to raise. Some of you grandparents have had to raise grandchildren. Pastor friend recently posted. A pastor. My 14 year old daughter. Just announced to us that she's pregnant. A pastor. I'm sure. Oh no. What am I going to do? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna handle this? Nobody knows how you're gonna handle it till it comes your way. And I could look at that, we could all look at it and say that was a mistake, but that, that was a trick of the enemy. But the reality is, I believe every person in this room, you may have been born out of wedlock, but every person in this room, you're an increase of the Lord. You're an increase, you're a blessing, you're a blessing. I've got foster parents in this room. Thank God for you foster parents. I don't know how you do it. It's it's a choice. I thank the Lord for you, but you need to be telling those children how special, how wonderful, how great they really are and that they are an increase from God, not a mistake. This is a family affair. Moms and dads, when they go back to school tomorrow, Some of you will drop them off. But don't just drop them off and let them come back home. Maybe we need to get more involved into the school itself. Maybe we need to be going to the school meetings. Maybe we need to be having more meetings with the teachers. Not telling them how they ought to teach. But just saying, I'd like to know what is being instilled into my little Johnny. I'd like to know. We need to be involved. a family affair I said it earlier God intended for the family to have dominion over the earth but we put it into the hands of somebody else in actuality the church sometimes the reason the church doesn't function the way it's supposed to is because we haven't seen the aspect that we're the family of God And we don't know how to even care for one another and how to nurture one another. So I leave that with you this morning. I deposited into you what I felt like the Lord give me for this day.